Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook. We have a great show for you today. We've got the group is all here. Matthew, Joshua, and I'm here, Brent. Uh, how are you guys doing today? Good. Um, Brent, can I just jump right into the warm-up today? Because I have uh, something to report to the listeners. Yeah, I hope it's a, a confession. So after three months of using the Honey plugin, <laughs> I finally saved some money with it. And I was wrong. It does work. Is that because Josh actually explained to you how you need to use it and then you finally figured it out? No, it was more just random luck that I was buying some food from the Thrive Market and there happened to be a discount code that worked. I have like some insight on just what you were going to say right now. And just that you led with three months. I don't even think it's been three months since we were talking about honey, but that's great. And I'm just really happy to hear that you finally saved money because you were really down on it. But you made it more, a little bit more dramatic than it had to be about saving money. Yeah, I saved $30, I think, which is, which is pretty big for a, a food order. And then I, I guess the question I have is if, there's, if I go on the Thrive Market again and buy some food, will honey still work or is honey now never going to work again? You know, they, re- they renewed like the coupon codes. So like the coupon codes on there are updated. Now you, one of our, our RPA recommends back at the podcast, several podcasts ago was US Wellness Meats. And Honey has their coupons on their website, but you've actually never used Honey to save you money or any other coupon on, your, on the meat company that you recommended. So you've been overpaying for the meat the entire time. Well, that's not entirely true. I tried to use the honey on the meat company last time because I thought it would work and it didn't work. Oh, you, you used it wrong then because I used it last night and I saved money on it. I have a suspicion that it was like operator error this whole time and you just finally learned how to use it. Uh, I don't know about that. Yeah, so... Um, I'm still under 40. I can I, use a computer. <laughs> I, I think what's, what's funny here though is that uh, we are not sponsored by Honey, but it's probably like the most talked about topic over like the last several months on the show. Yeah, definitely. I think it was just the, you know, Matt's negativity towards it when we were really uh, passionate about using it and that it worked for us. Yeah. So at RPA, we don't allow any days off from any of our employees. They are straight work all the time, but we let the exception happen uh, this week. Josh, you took a couple of days off. How was your COVID free vacation? Yeah, so it was nice to actually get some days off. And um, we, me and my wife took a, a trip up to Paso Robles. Uh, we've been a few times, really like it, and had a great time. Uh, did a couple wine tastings, I guess, just to share my experience. Everything was very safe, like as far as like COVID prevention. Um, none of the wineries allowed you to go, you know, inside of their tasting rooms or, you know, really be grouped with any other people very good spacing it was pretty cool and even one of the wineries had uh, a little like wine glass holder so they weren't actually holding the glasses and then they set them on the table and it releases the glasses so like you know the wine servers aren't even touching you know what they're dropping off to your table so felt really safe doing it uh we had a great time you know a few different wine tastings over the few days we were there and uh, it was nice to get away, back and back and refresh. So uh, thanks, guys, for covering me Monday, Tuesday. Uh, do you recommend this to others to, for something to, that they could do? Well, that was going to be one of my recommends, uh, a part of this trip. But yes, I, I definitely do. It was nice to just, you know, we took the drive up the coast and took the 101 up. And just to, you know, kind of do something different. I felt like, you know, we're working from home. I don't even drive anymore. 
And so uh, just to kind of take our time getting up the coast and, and enjoying the scenery and then being in a place like, you know, Paso Robles, the population isn't too dense. So like everywhere we went, there just wasn't a lot of people even compared to where we live, you know? So um, definitely recommend, you know, if need to get away, they have it pretty well set up, even at the restaurants and stuff up there, you know, to keep everyone safe from, from COVID and, and still be able to enjoy the, the city. Well, maybe in the show notes, we can put a couple of the places that you went for the listeners to go check out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's get into the headlines. Uh, the FDA is approving a COVID test by Abbott Laboratories. Uh, the results are supposed to be given within 15 minutes. Uh, they basically compare the test to a home pregnancy test. Abbott plans to ship tens of millions of these tests by September and then 50 million in October. What are your thoughts, Matt, about this new strategy of testing? Yeah, it sounds really great. And I saw that the accuracy on it is 98%, which is probably higher than the actual test they're using right now. So that's, that's really great. I mean, it seems like the test we're using right now gives off a lot of false positives. Um, just pick that up from watching sports. But it's so great. Like Josh was saying, he went on vacation, and, and it's really nice that he, you know, the wineries were open, that he was able to, you know, stay at a hotel and Airbnb. This kind of testing device is going to really make that, you know, possible for people who are a little bit more nervous about traveling, and then hopefully it'll allow um, schools to open. And then workplace testing as well. It's really great. What a win. Yeah, I guess what, what are their thoughts on, um, like, are they going to have these, these machines in a lot of different places? Is it, are they mass producing the machines? Because I know you can get the little test kits, that like, you know, but I think you need the machine to, to do the testing, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, I think the test kit counts like a credit card, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I would love to get one for my house. I'll just take a test every day. Right. I know. I think, I think that's where everybody would like to get with it, but I think that's, you know, obviously that's not going to happen. Yeah. I, I think though, like you were saying, to just piggyback leading to, you know, some sort of a conclusion, hopefully to this COVID crisis, but opening up schools and workplaces, but then also we're talking about traveling. I mean, you know, if you took a test before you left as well, or traveling with other people and knowing that you're safe, I mean, it, it's opening up the doors for a lot of life that's been closed off for a while with these tests and them being so cheap. So excited about the news from from Abbott. Yeah, and I think what America is so good at is, you know, taking some kind of development like this and then making it work across so many different aspects of our life. And and I can't imagine what innovation this possibly leads to in the future. Yeah. You guys are a little young, but do you remember <laughs> when um, prior to 9-11 you used to just be able to show up at the airport and you go through the metal detector and get on your flight? But then after 9-11, you had to start showing up like, you know, hour, hour and a half early to to get through all the screening. I wonder if that's what's going to happen with this Abbott test, right? Like if you want to fly, now you have to show up to the airport, you know, 30 minutes on top of the extra hour and a half you have to. So really you're coming two hours early and you have to take the Abbott test and wait in a COVID holding tank. Yeah, that sounds like fun. You think that's what's going to happen like in the next month or so? I don't know. I, I bet like the innovation is going to get pretty dynamic with this thing. I mean, they've been talking about this test for a while, so they've had time to plan for it. I would assume that they're going to probably come out with some pretty good regulations and, and ways to utilize it. Hopefully. I think that's right. a good idea though, Matt. Keep it, keep it safe. I mean, I, if you had to travel, I'd rather know that everyone on the plane was COVID free than not knowing. 
even if that meant I had to be there half an hour earlier. So totally agree. Interest rates are no longer are said to be held the same. Uh, Matt, what does this mean? Yeah, so the Federal Reserve uh, kept interest rates where they are, which is extremely low, um, which is meaning they're pretty much 0%. Um, and, and what this means for people is they said they're going to keep them low for an extended period of time. I believe they said at least four years. So we have interest rates lower for longer. It's going to be like that period after 2008. And, you know, it's kind of the, the theme of our, our show today is the housing market. And these lower rates are really going to be good for, for borrowers, right? Uh, from credit card to housing to auto, it will make investment returns tougher for retirees though as well. It doesn't appear that they have a plan to raise them in the foreseeable future. Is that what you heard also? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, I believe I read it as at least, you know, the next two to four years, they want to see inflation really start to pick up before they raise interest rates again. Which is kind of against what their policy has been in the past with kind of being before inflation as they raise interest rates. So, you know, that's a, a little different and part of the headline as well is that they're kind of shifting strategy of keeping these low interest rates and kind of almost guaranteeing that. But like you said, you know, good good for, for borrowers, both on the auto and home, but then also business lending, right? To, mm-hmm. to help businesses not only grow, but to continue to get them through the, this period and for the next couple of years. Um, but really bad for savers. Yeah, interest rates seem to be extremely low. You know, we we had them finally creeping up over the last couple of years, and then now we're all the way back down again. So savings accounts aren't paying anything all over again. All right, let's get into the retirement planning corner. Uh, despite many predictions of an epic meltdown like 2007, the housing market is very strong. Today, let's explore why that could be and how it may impact retirees. Now, when the pandemic originally hit, my initial thought was that housing prices were going to get hit really hard and it was just going to just tank. Did that happen, Matt? And what are really the statistics around the housing market? Yeah, that's what I thought too. I thought the housing market would be really weak, but actually quite the opposite has occurred. And the housing market is uh, very strong right now. Let me throw some stats your way. So all these stats are going to be as of July. Um, the August data isn't quite out yet. We're at the end of the summer creeping up here in September. Um, so the August data will come out around, you know, mid-September. Um, it's expected to be stronger than July data. So year-over-year year mortgage purchase applications, so people were requesting a new mortgage, it's up 33%. Existing home sales, so that would be a home that's already been made, sales up 8.7% year-over-year. New single family sales, so that would be something you get that's a brand new home from Toll Brothers, KB Homes, you know, any of the big home builders that you see, up 13.9%. Huge increase there. And in California, the state where we record the podcast, housing prices are up 9.6% year over year. Just incredible growth right now. And as someone who's been shopping for a home since the pandemic started, I can tell you guys, this market's on fire. It's really hard just to to even get like your offer accepted. What's your experience right now in shopping for a home? What's that like experience like? So there's no such thing as an open house anymore. You have to make an appointment to see a home and then you go in and you walk it with your realtor and your realtor only. So for for me and my wife, it's our realtor and then the two of us. And you know, after that, if you like the home, you put an offer in. Um, It's pretty much you see it once, that's it. 
the one thing I'll say though that I that I've noticed is I mean there's been homes where we that look very attractive online that we want to go tour and we've requested to tour them and we can't even get a tour in before they sell. So we've missed three or four homes like that that looked really attractive online and you know before our tour happened they sold. And from my understanding with your experience um like they take offers all in one day and they pick and select the offer that they want and they move on and, and it's sold. It's not like they're sitting on the market for multiple days, getting different offers throughout weeks and weeks. Correct. Yeah. So, and then the, the sellers usually will put an offer deadline. So, you know, the offer deadline is Thursday. They review all the offers. They kick out the ones they don't like. They tell the ones that they like to, you know, they have till Saturday or Sunday to submit their best offer and the best offer wins. There's no deals out there. How long have you been uh, looking, if you don't mind me asking? We've been looking um, since May. That's a, a pretty long time, would you say? Yeah, yeah. Actually, we were looking to you before the, the pandemic started. So we, we kind of started looking in February or March, but that only lasted like a week or two before we had to put it on pause. Um, and then we picked up in, in uh, early May. And Brent, what do you think's leading to such the high demand? You know, that's a good question. I mean, I think obviously, Matt, have you noticed that inventory is extremely low right now? Yeah, inventory is really low or the way they say it in the industry is it's tight. Like there's just not a lot of homes coming I mean, for my, sale. Yeah, I mean, my guess is a couple of things. I mean, most people still aren't really comfortable with um, moving it during this whole period of time during COVID. Number one, I would think that corporate jobs and jobs aren't really shifting people to other areas as much as they used to but there's still a lot of stay-at-home orders um, so you know people aren't moving to and from their current location so there's probably a lot of that, that going on just leading to less reasons why there's less houses being put on the market and i think a lot of people are seemingly just upgrading their current home instead of moving right now yeah, you're seeing that in the data i mean home depot lows uh West, I think it's West Elm. And what's the other big, is it Restoration Hardware? I mean, they've all reported really big, uh, big numbers on the home remodel side. Josh, do you think that the housing market crashes in the next few years? Uh, that, that's a good question. Uh, you know, we were talking about interest rates earlier and interest rates remaining still very low. And interest rates being low is good for anyone continuing to, to buy a home. And so, you know, does interest rates staying low continue the high demand for housing. And with this new life, with this pandemic and people looking to kind of nest or move to the suburbs and looking and having more demand along with all of those reasons you just said, what's really going to drive the housing market down? You know, unless the pandemic continues to, you know, come back or hit us hard and more people are losing jobs and has a complete economic shutdown again. But, you know, if we're going to continue on pace like we are now, where's the demand's not going down and we're seeing wall street journal did an article about the increase of millennials in the market um in the housing market so you know up over six percent since last year of millennials buying property so now we're having a whole new generation flooding the market as well for any, and then also everyone else who is already looking for a home so there's an increase in in that generation to buying the home so with interest rates staying low with you know, the demand, in my opinion, staying very high. I know Matt said he's looking for a home. Me and my wife have already been, this is a personal story, but already looking and planning, you know, of, of our next step and upgrading a home as we, you know, continue to grow our family. The, the demand's there. So, you know, 
and especially in our area with just geographically and the lack of new homes being built, I really see it hard that the market's going to crash to answer your question. That's a good point, Josh. Um, and I'll give a little of my own experience. When we go to the open houses or kind of the tours, sometimes there's a line to get in because there's a backup. So you kind of just wait with your realtor and, and queue. And all of the people who are purchasing the homes are under 40. Interesting. Uh, and usually who's selling is either a flipper or an older couple who's retiring. It, and I don't know if you know these stats, but are housing prices in major cities declining or are they on the same track as sort of what we're seeing in the suburbs and in different areas of California? I guess I'll take that. I don't know all this, all the stats um, behind each city, but I know San Francisco is struggling and New York is struggling. It seems like LA is struggling a little bit at the high end. And when I mean a high end, I mean property priced over 2 million, which is, is to be expected in a recession. But that low end range in LA, anything below a million dollars gets soaked up really fast or bought really fast. And then kind of like the spot where we see a ton of competition is between like a million to 1.3 million. Kind of like those entry level prices for you know people under 40 who are millennials who are high income earners. Do you think, Josh, that a lot of people would then start buying some of these office pods that can possibly go in their backyards to make their home more conducive to have an office in your backyard? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's going to grow in popularity. I also think just the addition like we're seeing already, I was talking about Home Depot, restoration hardware, upgrading your home, whether if it's adding just more space somewhere, more space maybe even for another family member because they can't find a home. So, you know, adding on to that existing property. And to to go back to the, the question about prices increasing, I, I did see an article that um, prices year over year for new home builds is up over 7%. So the demand for the new homes, especially in our area, is growing and increasing the price along with the cost of l- lumber going up. Um, so just to kind of touch base on that as well is increasing the price and the markets going up for brand new homes, not, not existing. And uh, Matt, I guess what a lot of people also are probably wanting to know is how does this really impact retirees? It, it's interesting because I, I think it could have a couple big impacts. Um, number one, you know, we talk to a lot of our, our clientele who's either retiring or, you know, they have ambition to retire in the next four or five years and a lot of them want to move out of the state of California for obvious reasons. The state of California has a lot of flaws right now, but there's still a, a generation of people who you know, need to stay in California for work, right? Uh, I, I need to stay in California. The two of you need to stay in California. So we're going to be natural buyers of these retirees' homes. And like Josh was saying, there's a lot of strong demand from our age group right now. And that's probably going to help keep keep housing prices stable or move them higher. So I think retirees who, you know, are scared that the housing market's going to crash and they want to take their chips off the table so they can get their dream home. I I think the data says that you don't need to panic and just, you know, go slow. Yeah. And that was my next question for Josh too. And it kind of leads into that. So if you're a retiree right now, who's a few years, let's say away from retiring and when you retire, you want to move, whether it's out of state or downsize or whatever, would you consider right now selling your home 
and then going and renting for a few years and parking the money while the market's as hot as it is. Yeah, potentially. And especially if you don't know exactly where you want to be. I think now's a good time if you do have the flexibility to move and you're thinking about moving out of state. I mean, maybe you go rent in a few cities over the next few years and sell. You know, yes, there's always the potential that the housing market continues to go up. And that was kind of, you know, what I was forecasting in the, in the last question. But, you know, what if, what if it doesn't? What if it does? But now's a great time. Housing prices are high. Interest rates are still low. Um, so people can afford to still buy. And, you know, maybe you do pick up and move and go try somewhere else. Because if you don't know where you want to be, it doesn't make very much sense for you to buy a home and take out a mortgage unless you're going to stay there for at least five to seven years. We know that most of those payments in the front of that mortgage are going to be interest plus the cost you're going to pay. So, you know, jumping into a mortgage when you don't know exactly where you want to be isn't going to be the best, you know, not going to be the most efficient housing decision. But to try and time where housing prices are going to be three years from now is nearly as complicated as picking and deciding where the stock market's going to be three years from now. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's more about being prepared. You know, can can you afford the next move? Does it fit your financial plan? Does it? Can you really see yourself there for more than seven years? And answering all of those questions, I think that if all of those questions are yes, or you have a really clear picture on what your future is going to be like, and it's affordable, then we start to look at, you know, some of those decisions to, to move or, or sell the home. And it's less about timing the market, because it's really hard if you're staying in the same area right now, you know, if interest rates stay low, and your house is, you know, accumulating and growing in value, so is the potential house you're going to buy. So unless you're truly moving to a lower cost of living, you know, state or area, to try to downsize here is pretty tough. And Brenna, I think you probably see that looking at homes as well in the area. You know, if you have a two-story home, you know, in Ranch Cucamonga, and you're trying to find a one-story home in Ranch Cucamonga, there's not that big of a downgrade in price. So, you know, if you're doing it for a cash flow or economic, you know, a, a financial reason, it's really hard right now to even make that decision because the price variance isn't very big. And Matt, if somebody were to sell and then put their money on the side and they were going to buy in a couple of years once they do retire, where would they naturally most people be putting their money at during that time period? That's the thing. It's kind of an inconsistent philosophy because, you know, there's only a few different things we can invest in. We've already established that, you know, CDs, interest rates, savings accounts, like we've been talking about this for months, those are paying no interest anymore. So that leaves you bond market. Okay. So maybe you put your money in bond, you get two, three percent. Great. That's historically below the, the price that houses have risen. So there you're probably better off keeping your house. And then, you know, you want to go in the stock market. Oh, okay, great. You're going to get higher returns in your house. We know that historically stock market does 9% historically houses to do around four. That said, you're going to take on a lot of risk. You're going to take on more risk in the stock market than you would just holding your home in the housing market. So I don't know. There's really nowhere to put your money. Yeah, I, I guess that this decision comes with a lot of very careful planning. And if you do really careful financial planning and it's detailed out, then this decision can really be broken down very specific and let it means to dollars and cents. Because at some point, you're going to want to factor in, can you transfer the cost of your property tax to the new property? So when would you have to buy the new property by to transfer the property tax? And you know what are you looking at to purchase the new home for? So like, there's probably 
a lot of factors that would probably want to be considered before making such an important decision. But it's not something that is something we can assume that retirees and moves they should make during this time. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. There's just so many factors. And obviously, we talked about a few of them there, but it has to be very carefully planned because you know the general solution of downgrading your home isn't so easy anymore. Now, for people who are already retired, we've had a number of clients that have sold their primary home and then went on to buy two different homes. Generally, one that's in a warm climate area and then one's in a cooler climate area and they spend time between both. And sometimes they're for tax purposes and sometimes therefore um, just the ability to travel in between based on different seasons. We have some clients that are using when they're not at one home as an Airbnb and then you know they'll flip-flop that. Is it a good time for people who are retired that may be taking these thoughts into consideration? Is it a good time for them to be considering that? To move out of um, California and buy two homes? Yeah, or California or any state they're in to buy, well, yeah, let's say California to sell their California property to buy two other homes in two different areas. Yeah, I think it's a great idea if their retirement plan allows them to. I don't know about the two of you, but I'm a big, you know, not, I don't like my clients to have a large mortgage in retirement. I think it just creates a lot of added stress. So, I mean, if your plan can't afford it, then it's probably not an option. You might have to, you know, just pick a home in, in one um, city, state, whatever, and go on vacation like everybody else. I think it does make it more complicated. I, I mean, you know, managing the two properties and then if you're going to involve also renting it and ha- having an Airbnb, how are you going to leverage the properties between the two? Is only one going to have a mortgage as two or you're going to buy them cash? I mean, again, just a lot of planning. It makes it more complicated. I have seen it be successful. That's I'm not saying that it isn't, but it just depends on also your goal. Like Matt said, having one home and taking an extra vacation because you don't have the cost of another property, you, you know, you're, you really have to ask yourself if, if that's, the type of lifestyle you want in, in retirement. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. It's something that needs to be planned very carefully on in the financial plan. I've seen clients do it really successfully though, where they've sold their primary. It's been a big expensive house. They bought a smaller home or a condo uh, locally because they want to still be in this area and then bought another property in another area in cash and had no mortgages on either of them. Um, it is something to consider if you, you know, it is your desire to be in two different locations throughout the year. So it can be done, but something, yeah, I completely agree, needs to be done very carefully within the plan. All right, let's get on to my favorite part of the show, uh, the RPA recommends. Uh, I think we've talked enough about honey. So Josh, let's start with you on uh, RPA <laughs> recommend today. I don't know if we recommended it, but um, so a few times ago when we took our trip to Paso Robles, uh, we signed up for a wine club up there. And um, so we went to the, our wine club uh, membership while we went up there, which was cool because they give you free tastings if you go back and you're continuously being a wine club member. Um, so my recommendation is just a wine club to your favorite winery is, is pretty awesome. They ship either two or three times a year directly to your home. So we get a wine shipment, you know, a couple times a year that's shipped from our favorite wineries. We get to enjoy the wine. It makes us think about, you know, the memories we made it up in Paso Robles and stuff and just a very cool uh, service that we like. And they usually switch it up. So we usually get some different wines and it has, you know, some other perks to it um, if you're gifting wines from that winery. But that's my recommends. We really enjoy it. Um, and we're happy to go back to our wine club winery on Monday, which was fun. Matt, what do you have for us for an RPA recommend? Uh, yeah. So, you know, we went a good three, four months without sports. 
right? So it's from March to probably July. So I watched a lot of streaming TV and my wife and I actually finished all of Netflix, if you guys can believe that. We've watched every show on Netflix that's worth watching. So we tried out Apple TV Plus and they don't have as many shows as like a Netflix does, but then a few good shows right now. We're watching The Morning Show and we're watching Ted Lasso. But so far, it's actually my second favorite streaming service behind Netflix. From a quality standpoint, they, they do put seeming like really good quality into their shows and the stream quality is really nice. It's not like Hulu or HBO or sometimes, in my opinion, the stream quality is not that great. Nice. So I have a recommend also, and you probably already watched this, Matt, since you've seen every show on Netflix. Uh, the other day, my wife and I watched the David Foster off the record documentary on Netflix. It was absolutely phenomenal. I was into it the entire time. I felt like it was almost similar to the Michael Jordan documentary where I was just completely just into it. I'm a big documentary guy. I like hearing and learning about people's success stories. It is phenomenal. If you don't know a lot about his story, his background, his career, it is absolutely great. I'd go check it out. Um, it's on Netflix. It's called Off the Record. But it, it is an absolutely great story. So I would, I would definitely check it out. I think that sounds like a fun night. Our listeners can join a wine club, get wine delivered to their door, and now they have two shows to watch. Yep, and if they buy anything online, they could just use honey. There you go. The wine club <laughs> might have a honey. To there you go. Setting up someone for a, a good evening. So for Josh... For Matt and for Brett. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Plan Playbook. Please give us a review on wherever you stream your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about us or read your show notes, please go to the Retirement Plan Playbook. Thanks for listening. RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A from Brochure and 2B Brochure Supplement to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcasts. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.